The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. We have an important show today. The title, The Gender Creative Child, Understanding Children Who Live Outside Gender Boxes. Both professionals and parents are confused and anxious about responding in the interests of young people whose gender choice is creative, continually changing, or well-hidden. What about the six-year-old who wants to wear his sister's dresses to school? What about the little kindergarten girl who insisted she was a boy, used a male name, stood on the boy's line, and started middle school still happily identifying as male? What about the depressed and harassed teen who knows they identify as both male and female? And what about the adults hiding an authentic gender self for a lifetime? We are very fortunate to have as our guest a true expert in gender research and understanding, Dr. Diane Aronsaft. Dr. Aaron Saft is a developmental and clinical psychologist, associate professor of pediatrics at University of California, San Francisco, and director of mental health of the Child and Adolescent Gender Center, UCSF, Benioff Children's Hospital. She is co-editor with Dr. Colt Kielmeyer of the Gender Affirmative Model and author of The Gender Creative Child and Gender Born, Gender Made. She specializes in research, clinical work, training, and consultation related to gender-expansive children and publishes and lectures both nationally and internationally on this topic. At present, she's the co-investigator in a foresight NIH grant studying the effects of puberty blockers and gender-affirming hormones in gender-expansive and transgender youth. She's the principal investigator in a companion foresight grant, the Gender Journey Project, studying the psychological experiences of prepubertal gender expansive children. Dr. Diane Aronsaft, it is a privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Let's start for the sake of our listeners really understanding the power behind your model. Let's clarify gender and sex and what we call the binary. Sex. Uh, And sex, as we know it in this context, is typically what the medical professional or midwife does when you come out and they look between your legs and they say male or female. It's the physical attributes um, based on our chromosomes, based often on just how we look from the outside in terms of our genitals, and it relates to what's put in our birth certificate. Typically, historically, in this country, it's M or F, male or female. That's our sex. 
Our gender is a psychological construct. It's who we know ourselves to be as either male, female, or other. And it has Mm -hmm. to do with both who we know we are, that's gender identity, and how we do our gender, how we like to dress, uh, put ourselves together, the activities we like to do, and that's known as gender expression. The binary has to do with sex translated to gender, essentially, that there are just two boxes, one male, one female. The male box are going to be the children who are seen as boys. The female box is going to, are going to be the children who are seen as girls based on the sex designated to them at birth. Mm. Now, one of the things that was surprising to me that you said is when you started this research on Facebook, you could have two categories, male or female. But by, I think, 2014, you correct me, Diane, there were 50 categories, cygender, transgender, bigender, um, transsexual. What People are not sure why this is the case. And when it comes to their child, they're not sure what to think about it. Now, you use the term the gender-creative child. What do you mean by that? What I mean by the gender-creative child, and it can be any child, is a child who learns the sex that was designated to them, learns about gender and the gender everybody thinks they are, looks around at the world they live in, and the messages they get about gender or the rules about gender or the expectations about gender and how the people who are raising them are doing their gender, and they begin to weave together their own gender. And it's based on what they learn from the outside, what they feel from the inside. The body gives them some messages about it. So I, they're almost, we can call them gender weavers, Mm-hmm. Or I use the concept called the gender web, where they're spinning together their own gender web, and the act of spinning it together is their gender creativity. And what makes up this web? It's more than just physical, right? The web has three components, nature, nurture, and culture. And you could break down each of those components even further, but the important thing to note is that they're all important. The nature indeed has to do with the body and the brain that you come into the world with. The nurture are the the people right around you who are raising you and helping you grow and also who you live with as adults. And the culture is the social environment beyond that that you live in. it can extend further and further out. And all those forces come to bear in any one child's gender or any adult's gender as well. So I talk about the gender web being like fingerprints in that if you sit in a room with people, everybody's going to have their own unique fingerprint and everybody's going to have their own unique gender web. No two peoples are exactly the same, but they're not like fingerprints the people's gender webs, because they can change over time. Your gender web that you might have put together when you're little at age three 
may look totally different than your gender web at age 50. So it's not impermeable like a fingerprint is. Now, one of the things that you, it really comes through in your book, The Gender Creative Child, how it really does possibly change for some and for others it doesn't. There's one little example um, little Antonio, you say he's five years old, and he says to you, he has it down, I will be a boy at school and a girl at home. I'm kind of both. So we have little Antonio, and that's his position, and and we can talk about the parent's response, and then you tell the story in terms of a teen that bothered both you and a, a gynecologist, a and a father brought a daughter who was assigned female at birth, but knew at age seven that he was a boy, to see a gynecologist. The father told the boy, who the father felt was a female, that until she got everything fixed, she could not go to the college of her choice. So to me, when I see examples like that, you realize... Uh how complicated the gender web is, both for the child and the parent. I would say in some ways it's more complicated for the parent than the child. That children actually go along skipping their gender webs and then parents often trip over them because (laughs) they don't understand them. Mm -hmm. And that is... Definitely a situation where you have a father wanting to take a seven-year-old to a gynecologist to have all this fixed. This happens uh, often at our gender clinic where a a parent will ask, can you give me a blood test uh, to let me know for sure that what my child is talking about makes any sense. I will only trust the blood test. We don't have a blood test for gender. We have our listening tools to listen to children, to hear them tell us how they're experiencing their gender, and it really can knock us off kilter. I'll tell you a story about that. When Gender Born, Gender Made, my first of my gender books came out, it was the same month that a family in Toronto announced that they were not going to reveal the sex of their baby. And the baby's name was Storm. And this created a storm about Storm. (laughs) Storm, I believe, was then four months old. And this went viral around the world. People stunned and upset that somebody would do that and not let anybody know if their baby was a boy or a girl. And so I would get calls from journalists around the world because my book had just come out. And so I got to be known as a person who knew a little something about gender. And this was after I was aware that there were thousands and thousands of comments going on over the Internet, and 97% of them were vitriolically hostile towards this family. Mm. And the uh, people would ask me, don't you think this child is really going to be confused? And my response was, perhaps, but not as confused as we are. But it challenges our notion of the binary as bedrock. And we have gender reveal parties before a baby's born. 
And we situate people by knowing if they're a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. So when a child says, I'm both or I'm neither, that child isn't confused. We are. And so it's been basically um, going from bedrock to earthquake in dealing with what I think is a gender revolution going on. Now, the big pushback is that the fear, and you correct me, that if my little guy wants to wear ballet slippers to school, that somehow he'll be bullied or someone will make fun of him. And as his parent, I'm somewhat hysterical about that happening. So as a parent, I'm torn between protecting him and giving him the freedom to express his gender in in a more expansive way and in a non-conforming way. What would you say to me? What I would say to you is that parent is struggling with what every parent balances and juggles when they're raising a child. On the one side is we want our child to be the happiest and uh, most confident and self-expressive child living authentically, at least in our culture, that's the norm. And we work for that for our children. And we want to keep our children safe. Mm-hmm. And those two are often in contradiction to each other. And in this particular situation, it gets polarized. To start with, that's a true fear. Children do get bullied. And who gets bullied the most in our culture, given sexism, are boys who take on the accoutrements of girls, put nail polish on, wear glitter, uh, wear a dress to school. They will be targeted more than the little girl who wears her brother's football uniform to school, where it's seen as cute. And, but any parent will be worried if their child steps too out of line, they might get bullied, and it depends on the community you live in. So we want to protect our children. And one way we may decide it's just not safe for them to go to school doing that, so we'll create a safe environment at home where they know that it's just fine, but the world hasn't learned yet, and that's one Mm -hmm. strategy. Mm -hmm. Another form of protection is acceptance, and what we call building gender resilience. And it goes like this. You can let the child know that some people may not understand or not like it, but let's practice what you would do if you really want to wear your dress to school if somebody does that. That would be part one of building the child's gender resilience. But it shouldn't be up to the child. It should also be up to the school to create a safe environment for that child. And that puts the parent in the role of of advocate and ambassador of going to the school and saying, I have a child. My child is, you know, identifies as male but loves dresses. And I want to make sure that that's going to be safe and okay and accepting for my child when my child comes to school on Monday. So what can we set up to make sure that happens? Now, obviously, not every school will be receptive to that. So it's a work in progress. And sometimes we do have to teach our kids that we're working on it. But just for now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wear the, you're going to wear your dress at home. And when you go to school, you're going to imagine wearing a Harry Potter cloak. So, you know, make it invisible to the other people at school when you're at school. And that's your Harry Potter cloak. (laughs) And the most important thing is 
if kids have to be held back, that they don't internalize it because there's something wrong with them, but that they know that there is not yet gender literacy or acceptance in the world out there, but the adults who love them and care for them and uh, are working on it. So it's a world that we're balancing like that. Okay, it's it's a wonderful answer, and we're going to come back and speak more about parents and children. We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here today talking about gender, the gender creative child with Dr. Erin Seff. She's a, an expert in gender expression, and her books are The Gender Affirmative Model, The Gender Creative Child, and Gender Born, Gender Male Made. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. You're listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here with an expert, Dr. Diane Aronseft. She's an expert in gender expression and an expert in gender studies. Her books are The Gender Creative Child and Gender Born, Gender Made. That's two of her many, many books. Um, Dr. Aronseft, I one of the things I really loved about the book, The Gender Creative Child, was your description that I guess comes from your clinical experience 
you categorize the children in a way that informs whether or not they are going to stay with a shift of gender, whether they are really just expressing themselves, um, or they're really actually kind of a mix. And I wondered if we talked about that, I thought maybe parents would really have some insight into what you have seen in terms of persistence being persistent, consistent, desisters, they, they, as they say, I think it would help parents feel less worried and uh, maybe it would explain it would explain the different categories we find children to come into your office with. I'd be glad to do that. And I'll give you a backdrop. There is research that's been going on for some time in the Netherlands and the Amsterdam Clinic, which was one of the first clinics uh in Europe to offer gender support services to children, and they were doing research. And they uh, talked about that when the kids came to their clinic, there were two different groups of kids who came at a young age. They were the persisters and the desisters. And the persisters were the kids who got a diagnosis at that time of gender identity disorder, and they kept that diagnosis all into adolescence. And those were the persisters. The D-sisters were the ones who got that diagnosis early in childhood, but it was gone by the time they became teenagers. And the conclusion from that is we can't really know when kids are younger which direction they're going to go in, and the majority of the kids were D-sisters. So we should just hold off when kids are talking about their gender to do anything as dramatic as having them transition from one gender to another until they reach being a teenager. And I had already been working with kids who were gender creative, gender expansive, and I read the research. I thought, this is making no sense to me. And I would mutter to myself, apples and oranges, apples and oranges. They're talking about apples and oranges. And I thought, yeah, they are. So I created two categories, apples and oranges. And before I tell you what they are, I will just say, when I was feeling all set, I've got my apples and my oranges, I went, oh, no, I'm leaving out a whole third category, which is fruit salads. And they're kind of a, they kind of mix up apples and oranges. So there's apples, oranges, and fruit salads. The apples are the kids who had been labeled the persisters in the Amsterdam research. And they are the children who are known as being insistent, persistent, and consistent in articulating a gender identity, who I am, uh, that is different than what's designated on the birth certificate, and it's typically the opposite. So it's a little boy who says, you've got it all wrong, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. Or a little girl who says, I'm all wrong, I mean, you're all wrong, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. And they tend to be showing up very early in childhood, They often tend early in childhood to be upset with the genitals they have because they want to trade them in for the other Mm -hmm. kind. Often their gender play is more than just play. It's very serious, with serious messages to the people around them. And they often show distress about the gender they're stuck living in because that's who everybody thinks they are. And they are the apples. And for many of the apples, when you give them the opportunity to transition to the gender they say they are, 
rather than the ones we always thought they were based on what's on their birth certificate, they get happier. And so those are our apples. And they are indeed our youngest cohort of transgender children. Now, some people say, oh, okay, that's fine. But if they don't show up to an adolescence and for the first time say, I'm not the gender you thought I was, then they're not real, right? Because they don't fit that profile. And I go, they're as real as real can be. They're just the late harvest apples. So you can come to an understanding of your gender at any time in your life. It could be Mm -hmm. 2, 5, 10, 20, 50. So we have apples and late harvest apples. Then we have oranges. I wondered, I just wanted to ask you, uh, Diane, I wanted to ask you, you know how you mentioned in the book that we used to think that gender was set at age 6? We certainly know that's Mm -hmm. not true. But it did make an impression Mm -hmm. on me that children as little as 2 are often, they know or feel um, that they are that they are another gender that they are male or they are female, um, and you even you even mentioned some biology that could be related to that. Mm-hmm. Just before we go to oranges, I wondered could you mention the biology in terms of uh, in utero um, the the androgens and do you think that that biology plays a part in this? In terms of the apples. When I mentioned there's nature, nurture, and culture in a gender web, I think the nature component is very much weighted for the apples. And if you will talk to parents, they will say to you, I swear I didn't do this. The child just came to me this way. I have four children, and I've raised them all the same. But this one is telling me, you all have it wrong. I'm not a boy. I'm a girl. And... I don't know where it came from. Where we think it comes from is a biological underpinning. It could have to do also with very early, early environment, and that's the uterus. And it may have to do with the hormones and the hormone receptors and how they're distributed and received in utero. So when we say the apples are... Children are expressing, are telling us their gender identity. They are using their minds, also their brains, possibly their neurological wiring, and possibly even their chemical distribution in their body to inform them that they are a transgender child. Mm. So we think very much that there's a biological underpinning and we don't know all the ins and outs of that yet, mm. but, but it's in the you, same way that gay people will simply say, nobody made me gay. I was born that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which explains the persistence and the consistency of what they're trying to tell the parent. Absolutely. And I mentioned in my book that where I was taught in school, I had to unlearn to be gender affirmative. But what I was taught was there was a progression. You were born, you were given a sex, that became your gender. And in the first two years of life, you developed your core gender identity. You simply know, I am boy or I am girl. And ages two to six, you learned how to do boy and how to do girl. So that was gender socialization. And then by age six, it was fixed. 
that you knew who you were. You knew there were no boxes because when you're little, you think you can be anything. But by age six, you realize you are a boy. You have to give up any fantasies of being a girl, for example. And this is who you'll be. And then you learn how to do it as well. You know how to do it. And it's all done and wrapped up at age six. But it's not mm-hmm. for many right. kids. But it is, there is a contradiction here because there are some kids who do know by age two or three mm-hmm. that they are transgender. And then people say, how could a little child know their gender? Well, if we expect all the other children to know by age six, why can't these children also know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a double standard there. And I would say children are capable of knowing their gender by age six. And for many people, that will be stable the rest of their lives. For some mm-hmm. people, it won't. But we have to honor the ability of a young child to know. Mm. Now, let's move and, on to the oranges because they mm-hmm. sometimes make the shift. Tell us how they're different from the apples. They actually don't make a shift. The, uh, the oranges are the kids who I think were misunderstood in this okay. persister sister research. And they are children who are typically happy with the gender that matches the sex designated to them at birth. But they don't like the rules of gender. They don't like how people are telling them they have to do their gender. So this might be the little girl who wants to play on the boys' baseball team because she's a good player and she likes playing with the boys. It might be the boy who likes to wear a dress to school. It's about their gender expressions, not their gender identity. They're typically happy with the body they have. They may say, I wish I was a girl. And that verb, to be or not to be, is often what differentiates the apples from the oranges. The apples will often say, I am a girl, if they feel safe and brave enough to say it. Whereas the oranges will say, sometimes I wish I was a girl. I think it would be great because then I would get to wear makeup. Or sometimes I wish I was a boy because then I would get those trucks that only my brothers are getting. So there's a wish fantasy. And their play around gender is often much more frivolous and whimsical. And it's not trying to get a serious message out to people, message out to people, you got it wrong. It's simply a message of, I'm going to do it my way in terms of, these are people toys. There's no such thing as a girl or boy toys. Just want them to be people toys. Mm-hmm. Many of the kids who are apples will be exploring their gender on the way to later establishing a gay identity. Mm-hmm. But not all of them. But that is the trajectory for many of the oranges. And many of them will simply be gender creative children uh, who are what we call cisgender, keeping the gender, the same gender as their sex. And they, again, will not be unhappy with the bodies they have. And again, for them, nature, nurture, and culture will all be woven in together. And we see more and more children being much more expansive in their gender expression. So we're seeing Mm -hmm. a lot more kids showing up as oranges. And I think Mm -hmm. that's part of our new gender revolution. 
um, that these are just people things. Why should they have to be for boys or girls? So well, it does, it does, around gender <clears throat> expression. It does really open it up. We had a babysitter who was a wonderful young man, this is 20 years ago, who had na- more nail polish. Didn't seem to phase my sons, didn't phase us, but he went on to, got, to get married. So he, But he was already, it was also grunge, I think grunge was into, but he was terrific. Yep. Um, and that freedom to be, and then everyone knows, uh, you know, the, the young man in college who is every every girl's best friend, and people think he's homosexual, but actually he goes on to marry. So it's just that freedom of gender expression really allows people to make a true authentic choice because they're not boxed in from based on what they're wearing or what they choose to do. So, I mean, the oranges are a very important group, and they are different than the apples. They are, and particularly now you use the word choice. Apples don't choose to be apples. They choose whether they're going to let anybody else know. Oh, yes. Uh, But it's a very inside thing. It's a core part of you. And unfortunately, if you talk to some older transgender people, they will tell you they were a young apple, but they didn't even know what to call it then. And once they figured out what to call it, they were certainly fearful of telling anybody until they got old enough to stand on their own two feet Mm -hmm. uh, or brave enough to begin to talk about it. And they often say, I wish I had been born in 2010. It would have been such a different world for me that I could have let everybody know early and lived a more authentic and happier life. Mm -hmm. So we have certainly you know, a real change going on there. But apples don't choose to be apples. They simply are apples and discover they are. In terms of oranges, they don't really choose to be oranges either, but they choose, as do apples, how they're going to express their gender. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, you know, like we choose what clothes we wear and we choose our haircut. Uh, We don't choose our inner sense of self and what I call our true gender self. So now let's talk about the fruit salad. We have about yes, a they are the melange. They were, and I will say they are the fasting grow, fastest growing group of these three groups. And I can tell you, uh, they often the, the word on the street now is the term non-binary. Uh, the language changes uh, every year, uh, and we have to keep keeping up with it. But the gender non-binary kids are the fruit salads. Fruit salads are basically people who say, you know, I'm a melange. I'm just going to, and I'm scrambling up both gender identity and gender expression. So I don't identify as either a boy or a girl. I'm either both. Or sometimes I'm one and sometimes I'm the other. I'm or sometimes I'm right some there. third or fourth gender. Jen, uh, Diane, I'm going to stop you right there because it's such an important um, category. Uh, we're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Erin Seft, and we're talking about gender expression, gender affirmation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. 
Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking about gender. And we're here with Dr. Eisenstaff. She is a, a real expert in this area. Her books are The Gender Affirmative Model, The Gender Creative Child, and Gender Born, Gender Made. And Dr. Aaron Saft was just talking about those young people who are what we call non-binary. They don't identify as all male or all female. They, they really are not able to and don't feel able to put themselves in any box. And I had just mentioned to Dr. Aaron Seff that I was doing a program and there was a young person there who who very quickly um, said that, and I'll use their program, that they were non-binary and uh, used the, program, the pronouns they, their, them. Well, I will tell you, I can't tell you how many times I made the error of calling this young person he. Or him, and the lovely, lovely young person didn't get mad. And I kept apologizing, and he finally said to me, "Maybe this will help." I don't identify as him. I don't identify as her. I identify with both. And I thought, I said, you know, that's such that does help me. It helps me understand where you're at. This is not just a matter of pronouns. This is your identity. Um, so it, it, it's a complicated thing for people to grasp 
and people worry about this kind of thing, Diane. What what would you say? I would say just stop worrying. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> I would say it's um, it's puzzling to people. Yeah, uh, and it's puzzling to people in our culture. If you go to other cultures and cultures historically, right on the land we live in or on, uh, in terms of Native Americans. There were third and fourth cult, uh, genders, and we, you know, boiled it down to two, and the kids are um, mixing and matching and expanding and saying uh, it could be any combination, and uh, there's a conference that happens every year called Gender Infinity with the understanding of the infinite permutations and combinations of how gender can be put together. And it confuses people. And people get stuck on the pronoun they. They is supposed to be plural. And it's not grammatically appropriate. Well, I think underlying that is really the anxiety about what is this new concept of somebody who's both a boy and a girl and is either, you know, flows from one to the other or integrates both every moment of every day. Right. And I did, I will tell you that I had, uh, some years ago, it was one of the first youths that I knew who was using the pronoun they, identified as uh, agender, and basically said, what is wrong with you adults? Don't you read Shakespeare? They is used over 500 times in the singular. <laughs> So why are you having so much trouble with it? Now, I must admit, I did find out later from a Shakespeare expert that actually it's true, but only to refer to royalty. So nonetheless, we have had to adjust to new terminology that essentially is not gender bound. And I think that's what's so important about it. Let's talk a little bit about um, the the decisions you make and how you make them um, in terms of whether or not a young person should do a suppression of hormones at puberty and what that implies and what risks there are. I mean, there's plenty written about how how relieved some young people are to finally feel others are helping them to be their true authentic gender. But parents are worried about prematurely doing something to their child, and what if their child decides after they've done some suppression of hormones to actually not go ahead with any kind of change? Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, let me clarify that before a child reaches puberty, when we're talking about their gender creativity, there are no medical interventions involved, none, that have to do with the gender. They can do what we call a social transition of change from one gender to another, and they might change their name, they might change their gender markers, their pronouns, uh, and let everybody know, um, you know, I'm no longer um, Susie, I'm Sam. When you get to puberty and your body starts to go through the changes that create your secondary sex characteristics, We now do have a medical intervention for both the apples who knew they were apples from when they were little and the youth who still aren't sure about where they're going to land on their gender identity. 
and that's called puberty blockers or puberty suppression. And essentially, that is a medication that simply puts a pause on puberty. It stops the hormones from flowing, and as long as you're on the medication, you won't go into a physical puberty. And that allows some children to buy more time to think about the adult hormones they would like in their body, either estrogen or testosterone. And it allows other children continuity of care that they can keep going without having to face the changes they already know will be completely unwanted. So that would be the transgender girl and the transgender boy. Puberty blockers, uh, you can go off them anytime. And we are studying them very carefully in our NIH studies. And uh, at this point, we're not finding any adverse effects. And there have been some studies before uh, in terms of children on puberty blockers. But we are still studying them because there are some unknowns. If you go on puberty blockers just as puberty starts, which is Tanner stage 2 of puberty, you will prevent all, you will you know, put a pause on all of the changes like breast development, like lower voice, like peach fuzz and whiskers that are associated with puberty. You cannot stay on puberty blockers indefinitely, but you stay on them to, buy, to give you that space. And then as you move into adolescence, you have to make a decision about which, which pathway you're going to go on. If you've been on puberty blockers and you decide you're happy with the hormones that came with your chromosomes, then you just go off the puberty blockers and you just go into the puberty, uh, what's called an endogenous puberty. If you decide, uh, once you've been on puberty blockers, that you want what we call gender-affirming hormones, which would be the opposite of the ones that your body would have produced on their own, then you can uh, move from the puberty blockers to the gender-affirming hormones and get the secondary sex characteristics of the gender you know yourself to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're studying this in both of in our NIH grant. That's exactly what we're studying is the physical and also emotional effects and outcomes of those puberty blockers and uh, gender-affirming hormones. People get very nervous about this. So much so that right now there is legislation and being proposed, right. but not passed in any state, but proposed in several states, to make it either a misdemeanor or actually a felony for a medical doctor to prescribe puberty blockers or gender-affirming hormones for a youth under legal age. This would be a travesty and a disaster if ever Mm -hmm. such a bill was passed. And I actually don't think any of them will pass. But this would cause great harm to transgender and gender exploring youth. Well, I think I'm going to read, I'm going to read something that it was, it was an example given when they were writing about the literature that, and the um, legislation that was trying to stop this just really quick Peyton came out to his mother as transgender. He'd been secretly binding his chest in a desperate attempt to hide his body. He was 14 years old and so miserable he could barely muster the emotional strength to leave the house. Coming out led to months of counseling, a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria, and finally hormone therapy when he was 15. He lost several friends while transitioning. 
he said, but as his body changed, his depression and anxiety faded. He stopped worrying about what people thought. Once I got over that, said Peyton, now 18 and a high school senior, I just started feeling a lot more free to be who I truly am. Now, what parent would not want that? This could be any child at our clinic. We see this over and over and over again, that when children are supported and accepted in the gender they're communicating to us they are, and we help them live in that gender, they do better. Mm-hmm. And when we thwart it, they do worse. And everybody always quotes the highest rate of suicidality among transgender youth. But the research shows very definitively when they receive social support, that goes way, way down. And it's a simple equation. Support them in who they are, and they will do better. Support them in who they are, and they will do worse. And I will say that everything indicates that allowing children the opportunity to take puberty blockers and or gender-affirming hormones is ensuring their gender health and their overall well-being. And I think this youth couldn't have put it better. Mm. Let me ask you, you say in the book that sometimes you only see the parent. You might not even see the little one. And sometimes you have parent groups. Do you find parents help each other, Diane, in, in this situation? I find that parents are both the greatest experts, the often greatest victims themselves of social bullying when they do support their children mm. and have weighted responsibilities in ensuring the health and well-being of their gender-created children. And nothing is as powerful as parents supporting each other. I also do grandparents' groups. Mm. And I will say the grandparents are also a mighty force. And I remind grandparents that not just to focus on their grandchildren, but on their own children who need their support because it takes a lot of resilience to raise a child against the gendered grain of the culture. And watching grandparents support each other is very moving. I will say we've talked about a gender spectrum often in the work that we do. There's also what we call an acceptance spectrum. And I will um, kind of cite Kelly Stork, who is a gender specialist in St. Louis, for coming up with this concept that for parents and grandparents and family members, acceptance of your child's gender gender isn't a point in time. It's a journey over time. And it often takes some time to work through all the complicated feelings about having a child who says, Either I'm not the gender you think I am, or I'm going to do gender in my own way, and parents having other dreams for their child. So the work is to let go of our dreams so we can pay attention to our children's dreams, like in anything else. Right. And the the, the strength of parent support groups uh, is uh, incredibly both moving and effective. Mm. And you do say in your book, you you really give credit to how courageous these parents are, because we know it's not such an easy situation. We had another guest a year or so ago, and her book was When 
when we lost our son and got our daughter. And it was quite a journey. But one thing she said that sort of fits with what you're saying is she said, my son had no friends ever. My daughter has friends. So, you know, when you when you see people come out to be who they are, it's like freeing them. Yeah, and I know a lot of parents talk about having to mourn or grieve the child they had uh, or they lost their son. And I've heard a lot of the kids say, what are they talking about? I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. I, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I didn't die. I didn't go anywhere. You just have to kind of readjust because who you thought I was isn't who I am. But you didn't lose anybody. Okay. And what you did lose is your your thought that you had a daughter, or mm-hmm. you thought that you had a son. You know. So, if you were to give our listeners a take home message, Diane, what would it be? I would say what's most important for all of us is to do what I call exploring our gender angels and our gender ghosts in ourselves. We were all socialized to believe certain things around gender, and I think that sometimes blurs our vision when there is a gender-creative child right in front of us. Our gender angels are those parts of us that say that gender in all its cues and variations is a positive and healthy thing to be supported. Our gender ghosts are those things that whisper in our ear, no, there's just two boxes, boy, girl, man, woman, and we've got to get everybody back in those boxes as they step out. Mm -hmm. Those whisperings are not going to help people be healthy uh, individuals living in their true selves. Those gender angels that say we need room for people of every gender to live comfortably with acceptance and no aspersion is what's going to move our whole society forward. Okay, I, I want to thank you, Dr. Aaron Saff, for your tireless work to help children be their authentic gender self. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this in any show as a podcast by 6 p.m. Eastern, and it's on every platform, Apple, Alexa, Voice America, MySite, PsychUp Live. Um, remember to call in or to... Connect with me on Radio Host Phillips at PsychUpLive.com. For next week, mostly, stay well, be safe, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.